0: hello and welcome to the armenian news network Grung Week weekend review this show is being recorded on march 13 2022. i'm Aspet bedrosyan and i'm here with hovik Manucharyan. here are the major topics we will touch on today we will discuss how events around Artsakh are affecting the continuing negotiations between armenia and azerbaijan and armenia further degrading its strategic relations with russia and the csto then we'll discuss the events in neighboring georgia where protesters were successful in bringing an about-face by the Parliamentary Ruling Party to strike down a law on foreign agents. Finally, we'll discuss our impressions of the results of a recent MPG poll, which shows shifting perceptions of the Armenian people on various topics. To discuss these topics, we have with us Harant Mikaelian, a political scientist and multidisciplinary researcher in social sciences based in Yerevan. He's also a senior researcher at the Caucasus Institute. Hello and welcome back to the show, Harant. Great to have you back.
1: Hello, Harant. Hello. Thank you for having me.
0: Okay, let's delve into our first topic immediately. In Artsakh, the Azeri blockade continues. Today, I think, was day 92. We talk to Gev Kajan and Stepan Agir every few days. We talked to him yesterday, as a matter of fact, to get a take on how things are on the ground over there. As we know, on March 5, Azerbaijan attacked an Artsakh police car in an unprovoked terroristic act. This was probably because Azerbaijan didn't like, to, uh, didn't like what they heard from the Artsakh government when they mischaracterized the meeting of the representatives of the two sides as being about integrating Artsakh into Azerbaijan. Artsakh President Araik Harutunian flatly denied this, uh, that his representatives discussed any integration topics. And he said that Artsakh remains on its quest for internationally recognized independence. He said they talked about uh, things like uh, infrastructure and humanitarian issues. However, Harutyunyan also said that those who disagree with his government can try to change the policy within the legal framework provided by the laws of Artsakh. Many interpreted Araig's statement to be directed at Samvel Babayan, who recently popped up in Artsakh and went on Artsakh Public TV to preach cooperation with Azerbaijan by supporting its goal of removing Russians from the region. Some in the opposition in Armenia and Artsakh criticized Harutunian's statements for even allowing for a theoretical possibility that there could be forces in Artsakh who would favor integration with Azerbaijan. So the question, Harant, was Harut Yunyan's mention that those political forces who think otherwise than his government should self-organize, win elections, come and take the government and change policy, an overturned window of sorts?
1: In his latest statements, Harut uh, has uh, set even a um, softer position. So now he's not that strongly opposing integration issue. And regarding Samvel Babayan, it's also interesting that he mentioned Azerbaijan's for five principles for resolving a Nagorno-Karabakh issue and Armenian-Azerbaijani issue globally, which implies, in reality, uh, so-called Azerbaijani territorial integrity. So um, they don't say it directly, but it's uh, completely on the table. So I think I think it is dangerous, and I think the fact that uh, uh, that Ruben Vartanian was removed from office is already mentioning that uh, direction has changed that they are ready to, to make concessions and it's also interesting that it's already more than three weeks that Ruben Vartanian is out of office but still the border is closed. So when Arai Karutunyan was uh, releasing Ruben Vartanian, he said that, uh, that it's being done to keep Artsakh's uh, possibility to counteract so to 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 keep Artsakh's resources so essentially to open up uh, uh, to open the road but then three weeks have passed and still the road is closed what is also noteworthy here is the statement which was made by Toy Klar who recently visited Baku and he said that Azerbaijan has uh, some Um, concerns about security which they say it's uh, uh, as of Baku it's uh, Armenia transferring weapons to Artsakh in reality this is not true but uh, the main issue is that Azerbaijan wants that no uh, supplies would be to Artsakh and then Azerbaijan will be able to uh, forcefully resolve the issue so um Leopold Clark has been convinced in Baku that Azerbaijan's uh, position is legitimate, and here are two issues. First is uh, European Union's approach, because we've heard uh, Schultz's position uh, several weeks ago. That two weeks ago, that uh, Artsakh's conflict should be resolved based on uh, both uh, uh, both principles including territorial integrity and right, uh, right to self-determination. Um, but then this statement was removed from his website. And then we have um, Toivo Klaar's statement. So I think Azerbaijani diplomacy has worked effectively, while Armenian diplomacy has usually failed.
2: And of course, uh, Toivo klar later um, tried to walk back his statement, saying that, I think he tweeted that nothing... Uh, in no case should force be employed. Harant. so there's also some reports that Areik Harutsunyan is meeting with Pashinyan, and when he returned to Stepanakir, there were rumors, uh, at least some media picked up on those rumors, that uh, there was talk of Areik Harutsunyan's resignation. Meanwhile, the Artsakh uh, Parliamentary Committee, I believe on legislative legislative affairs, approved Haratsunyan's proposal on constitutional changes which would enable the parliament to select a president during the times of martial law uh, in order to replace a vacant presidency why why are these rumors circulating about alik harutyunyan's resignation is he uh, truly do you believe uh, interested in leaving artsakh and uh, you know initially the rumors were that he was being squeezed out by ruben vartanian but if so why would the situation continue since uh, ruben vartanian is no longer there and who would be a potential replacement, in your opinion? As of now, we basically have two candidacies,
1: and uh, one is Ruben Bartanyan, and another is Sanvel Babayan. So, uh, And the uh, selection is clear. Uh, Samvel Babayan is, um, has already made statements, uh, according to which he represents the soft line, and the line towards negotiations and even towards integration of Artsakh with Azerbaijan. And uh, uh, Ruben Bartanyan has made clear that uh, he supports a stronger line or stronger stance towards uh, non-alignment, non-integration policy and increasing of local power and uh, improving uh, diplomatic positions and so on. So. Uh, In fact, these two confronting powers will fight for authority. And uh, despite the fact that uh, Samvel Babayan has um, many supporters in Artsakh, historically, let's say, at least 20-25% of population, some political groups and so on, but currently I think Ruben Vartanian will be able to gain more support.
2: This issue about, you know, integration with Azerbaijan, I mean, we realize that, uh, you know, there is a blockade and people are in a dire situation. But, you know, from your interactions with people in Artsakh, with, uh, you know, experts in Artsakh or with people who do analysis on Artsakh, how strong do you think the support is among the people specifically on the policy of uh, integration with Artsakh? I I can't even pronounce that, but what do you think? In reality, there are
1: very few people who can support this a vast majority does not support any kind of integration with Azerbaijan. But here is an issue. Uh, latest developments showed us that if you, uh, present things in other way, uh, so, you can manipulate people so that they don't understand what's going on. On one hand, and which has been done by Armenian politicians and Armenian media, uh, during the last years, and, uh, is shown its efficiency, this method, so, first of all, people can be manipulated, and the second is that there are some political forces who are ready to do that, Uh, and third is that Baku, and most probably Ankara, who has uh, prepared this policy, has effectively divided so-called integration process into hundreds of pieces, and uh, in its uh, side, it implies that there is no real step where, do, where you fully integrate. It's a process instead of, uh, instead of um, one movement. So it also does not let people to understand when, uh, when the point of no return has been passed. And I think uh, on one side, we are very close to this point. On another hand, you never know where it in fact is. So, um, right approach would be to, um, to perceive any point as such and uh, not let any kind of integration process. For example, now Baku wants uh, the Red Cross office to be moved from Stepanakert to Baku. I mean, why, why the hell do you want to move uh, the Red Cross office? But in fact, even this small step would decrease Artsakh's authority Uh, and increase uh, Azerbaijan's influence, so even this should not happen, Uh, not talking about, uh, I don't know, any other concessions. So, uh, here is a problem, people will not support any kind of unification, or uh, integration with Azerbaijan, uh, which they understand it will be destruction of Armenian Artsakh, complete destruction, but, uh, and complete disaster, but, Uh, They can be manipulated so they don't understand what is in reality going on. And they can be left out of choice. Until there is a choice, they will never select this option. So this is a problem. Uh, People are not, even in Armenia, many say, especially foreign uh, observers, many say that, look, Armenians have elected Nikol Pashinyan in 2021, which means Armenians in Armenia have accepted have accepted results of the war. In reality, it's not so. It's not so. We can uh, look at uh, at the surveys results, where we can see that people do not accept this war's result, and uh, people do not accept any changes that took place like last years. Of course, there are some who do, but they are minority. But uh, in these elections, there was no issue like that. Uh, for many, for majority in Armenia, the question was either to select uh, one uh, political group or another and the selection was based by uh, by on, on, on the ground of uh, local politics, domestic politics not, not the foreign politics and so there is a risk that uh, such such a contradiction will take place in Artsakh also, but given that Ruben Vartanian, for example, has Good reputation, and he is not perceived as corrupt. Although Azerbaijan tries to do so, in Azerbaijani media they call him criminal oligarch, which is <laughs> which is one of the terms they have invented for Armenian authorities beforehand. And uh, beforehand, and they used it before 2018, for example.
0: The term is perfect for Ilham Aliyev, of course.
1: I, <laughs> you, can, you, can only, you can only use first part of it but anyway <laughs> mm, there is a problem that uh, they might try to manipulate but I don't think they will be able in Artsakh so I don't think even given all this potential for manipulation they will be able to win if anything is dependent on Artsakhis uh, both in political class and in uh,
0: population but Harant why does Araik Karutunian want to resign still?
1: Well, in reality, very few people in the world would like to be on his place, to be frank, <laughs> because <laughs> the situation is very, uh, very difficult. I, I, first of all, I'm not sure he's trying to resign. Mm-hmm. Maybe he is imitating. To be frank, I don't see that. Maybe, maybe, it's, maybe there is some change during the last several days, but a uh, couple of days before, from what I know, there was not such intention, at, at least on his side yeah I know there are people in Artsakh and there are not uh, few they are not there are rather many who would like him to resign and this step towards uh, parliament, uh, towards a uh, new president elected in parliament is i think good step because right now holding an election in Artsakh is impossible nation election national right. election yeah so so this this is good step because there is no other way to Select uh, to elect uh, a new leader, or even um, new power, let's say. But at the same time, at the same time, um, I'm not sure where he's going to go. But even if it is so, um, it's it's uh, you can easily find the reason because uh, Arzak is in very difficult situation, and Aray as of now has uh, no keys for this situation. He has no solution, and uh, To be frank, very few people would uh, um, very little number of people would have this kind of solution to this situation. Uh, But Aray Gautinian yet did not find it. And uh, that's why I don't think uh, this uh, presidency as of now is any kind of beneficial for him. So he is maintaining status quo um, but also let's take a look at his appointments. Those appointments uh, are indicating that these people who were appointed are generally representing his political group, his uh, uh, patron-client uh, network. So yet I don't see the process of him leaving the power.
2: Yeah, in fact, uh, uh, I believe just today the uh, another indication of the popular view of Artsakh. Uh, just today, the mem- the parties in the Artsakh Parliament, all I believe all of the factions sent a statement or a call to Armenian authorities uh, essentially to to refrain from undermining the cause of Artsakh's independence and um, specifically referring to the 1992 declaration by the president of the Armenian, later became the Armenian parliament, which has, uh, you know, based on different experts, it has the effect of a law, meaning that Armenia should not uh, sign any uh, uh international statement or do make any move that would undermine, uh, the self determination of Artsakh. Uh, and uh, last, I guess, news from today was that uh, Hikmet Hajiev, um, you know, amid news about uh, amid news about accumulation of Azerbaijani forces on the border with Artsakh, and we don't we don't know if this is confirmed or not. Most well, I guess it's not confirmed yet. Uh, sorry, let me say that again. And the last news for today uh, on on this issue is that there are unconfirmed news about accumulation of uh, Azerbaijani forces on the border with Artsakh. Uh, obviously, we were we are uh, clarifying that, uh, so please take that with a grain of salt. But also, officially, Hikmet Hajiyev has invited Artsakh authorities to uh, go to Baku to negotiate reintegration. Specifically, it will be interesting to see what happens. Uh, Harant, quickly, do you believe that uh, Artsakh author- authorities will go to Baku? Seeing that, I think both uh, Araik Haritsunyan and Samuel Babayan are wanted by Azerbaijan. First of all, if Samuel Babayan will
1: support their uh, their approach, I think they will release really him easily. So, mm, I think uh, it's not a big issue. But also, uh, also the the big issue is the issue of status which can be um, can be discussed there. I hope they will not go but uh, unfortunately I cannot fully exclude it. And yes Azerbaijan is starting the forceful movements. They also attacked Martuni several days ago, two days ago if I'm not mistaken. So they are gathering forces. Uh, Previous time, they started gathering military force around Artsakh's current territory. Uh, This took place in December 2022. So it was uh, predecessing the blockade. So they are preparing for some movements, yet we don't know which. And uh, I think based on the fact that uh, it was stated by by Artsakh's military, I think um, we can uh, trust these statements that Azerbaijan is gathering force around Artsakh. So, I think we are at risk. I hope Russians okay. are monitoring this situation, uh, but I see that in Armenia, Armenian authorities are not doing anything. There are no statements. Um, although, although we can remember a statement by Nikol Pashinyan, which was made on March 5, during meeting with Schultz, or no, sorry, uh, during his... Um, a speech uh, in Germany during his meetings in Bundestag if I'm not mistaken he said that Azerbaijan is preparing for the war it, it was even before it was even before Azerbaijan's attack on on the uh, policemen in on our the police, uh, yes yeah. yeah 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 so it was even before he said Azerbaijan is gathering force to attack Armenia to help a new large-scale war uh, so I think Nikol Pashinyan understands the situation, but he does not react, which is the most important thing.
2: It's it's very interesting. From one side of the mouth, they're saying that there is no doubt that Azerbaijan is planning another war. But from the other,
0: there's no preparation to counter it. There's no yeah.
2: preparation. And they're actually saying that, you know what, they basically, It seems uh, at least based on what they're saying, they're ready to sign a peace agreement with uh, Azerbaijan based on, some vague guarantees from, uh, you know, more vague international community, you know, I, I don't know what to say.
0: Let's talk a little bit about that. Um, it was just uh, a few days ago that Security Council Chair Armen Gregorian stated that Armenia's understanding is that a peace agreement cannot be signed without what he called progress on the nagorno karabakh issue. The question that I have, first of all, is, who is Gregorian's intended audience? Is the statement intended for the domestic audience or Azerbaijan or the West? Who is he talking to with this statement?
1: I think Armen Grigorian Gregorian always talks to the West or to some his Western counterparts, counterparts or maybe some of his partners because his statements are obviously negatively perceived in Armenia and this statement too is implying that you should resolve Karabakh issue in the framework of Azerbaijan, obviously, obviously, and uh, this implies that uh, I know um, this implies that he is ready to give up, but uh, uh, and maybe to baku as well, but I don't think it's uh, in any way directed to domestic audience.
0: So, Harant, what does uh, quote unquote some progress mean? Does Gregorian's statement indicate any kind of a shift in Armenia's negotiation strategy or tactics, or is it just posturing?
1: A couple of days ago, no, um, probably two weeks ago, he also mentioned the five points of Azerbaijan. So, I mean, uh, it's not that this statement means that he's ready to give up, but that, that one means that he's ready to give up the territory. And concerning uh, concerning the some progress, there is some progress. Azerbaijan wanted uh, Ruben Bartanian out of office, they gained it. They wanted negotiations, they gained it. But it, it's not some progress. It's it's uh, basically the whole situation changed, which is expected. And Azerbaijan has set the goal clearly. So, either you accept Azerbaijan's approach fully or you don't have anything. It's uh, Azerbaijan's maximalist approach from the very beginning, even since the 90s, so you know, I don't think any anything has changed here. And uh, maybe maybe Armen grigoryan does not understand this, but I think
2: he does. And uh, as we mentioned today, in response to Armen Grigoryan's statements and previous Armenian statements about the so-called internationally visible mechanisms for ensuring security, Hikmet Hajiyev, Ilham Aliyev's uh, assistant uh, secretary, I don't know what to call him. Uh, responded saying Azerbaijan will not discuss uh, issues related to its sovereignty with any third parties including uh, Republic of Hayastan and just a quick note he actually uh, pronounced the word Hayastan and not Armenia uh, I don't know if the turkey if the interview was in Azeri Turkish or if it was in Russian uh, it was uh, reported in i believe a report.az az but essentially he, he he uttered like a like a mispronounced version of the word hayastan which i think is was meant to to denigrate the sort of armenian status even more um, so what now i mean it seems like the armenian government which i don't think represents the people of armenia but they seem to have they played every card they're now in a position of begging with some kind of pretense some kind of a pre, uh, you know pretense of negotiations between baku and Stepanakert, in order to sign this, uh, you know, uh, capitulation uh, that they want, but it seems like uh, Azerbaijan is not even willing to budge on that. Uh, what happens now? Obviously, naming Armenia Hayastan
1: is in fact a continuation of Azerbaijan's propagandist policy, which they go, which they were holding uh, since um, mid 2000s at least, and in their newspapers, in their social media. They were naming Armenia Hayastan and stating that Armenians were Turks, while high people came from India or something. So, um, so it's uh, this statement implies that they don't don't fully recognize Armenia, and uh, I think this shows um, that no. Uh, I want to be clear. It's my um, Position and very strict one, that we should not have any kind of negotiations with Azerbaijan. We should be just preparing for war. Any kind of negotiations with Azerbaijan should just prolongate um, this uh, no war situation, if possible, for some more days. But we should understand that, yes, there is a new war on the horizon. Yes, it's very likely. Yes, it might start in Artsakh and yes, it might go to Armenia next, and uh, no, Azerbaijan will not agree with coex- peaceful coexistence with Armenia, even uh, even if Armenia pays, uh, pays so-called um, complete uh, reintegration reintegr- of Artsakh into Azerbaijan. And we have seen that, because Azerbaijan says the issue is already resolved, They don't recognize any third parties, and so on and so forth, which means mm, they will not even perceive this as a concession. They will perceive it as something which is given. So, only people who do not understand of diplomacy completely can negotiate with Azerbaijan and expect some outcome. But um, unfortunately, this is the reality. So, I think uh, these Azerbaijan statements and propaganda and political moves are showing that uh, there is no room, virtually no room, not even one millimeter room for negotiations with Azerbaijan. That's that's uh, that's uh, that's what I can see from his statements, and that what I can understand from what uh, from what we see from Azerbaijan's side. And by the way, one more thing: Azerbaijan's propaganda against Armenians, which is governed from by by Ilham Aliyev, by the president himself, by by the whole state apparatus, is, a, is in its essence uh, fully Nazi propaganda. It's not just fascism, it's, it's Nazism, it's, uh, uh, um, it's very close to what Germans were disseminating against Jews, uh, and it's a kind of preparation before the genocide. And by the way, Nikol Pashjian himself also stated that, Azerbaijanis, please say, what do you want? Do you want genocide? But then he continues negotiations with them. Probably to, to help them. I don't know. So anyway, I don't think there is any room for negotiations with Azerbaijan. The only negotiation should be
0: preparation for new war.
1: Either, okay. either we prepare for war or uh, or the war will happen without our preparations.
0: Okay. Shifting gears a little bit. We've talked a lot on this show about Armenia's relationships with Russia and the CSTO tanking. The latest on this downward spiral was on Friday when Armenia further downgraded its relationship with the CSTO by declining to assign one of the three deputy secretary-general positions. The move was criticized by Dikrana Abrahamyan, an opposition MP who is also on the Parliamentary Standing Committee on Defense and Security. Uh, Harant, what do you think the significance of this move is? Is there a bottom in sight for these degraded relationships with Russia and CSTO?
1: This move is definitely important, because there are some people who say that Pashinyan's anti-Russian moves are caused by mm-hmm. um, by Russians' reaction on Artsakh and Armenia issues, so Russia does not react, Pashinyan is making march, so it's just, um, let's say, a move to show that he's not consent, that he has a problem, but it's not so, especially in this case, because this move changes institutional framework, so it declines the level of relations, it uh, it changes institutional framework, so it changes uh, the way countries interact. It is not just, uh, let's say, a statement or something. Yeah, if you are uh, not agreeing, you can make a statement. Most probably you should do uh, diplomatic work and most probably um, not official one or, or at least not public one, but if you are changing the, the level of relations, uh, if you are changing the way institutions interact, it means that it's your intention. The um, intention itself is to decrease the level of relations, which is obvious, I think, and it's continuation of the line which was said. Yet, at least uh, from uh, when they caught uh, Yuri Khachaturov, and Armenia has lost uh, its uh, position of uh, secretary uh, general uh, yeah. leadership. Yes, yeah, Secretary General. Yeah, and
0: that was back in 2019, I think, right?
1: It was in 2018. It was 18. late July 2018 or beginning of August 2018.
0: Well, so if, if Armenia were to effectively drop out of the CSTO, even if it officially remains in the alliance, the biggest concern is that there is no alternative security framework which it can rely on for its safety. The West operates in the South Caucasus through the arm of Turkey. This is an enemy country. And the same enemy that gave Pashinyan a kick in the butt in 2020, and to whom he cannot refuse any concession. So um, the CSTO has not been a great deal, I understand, but it is part of the global patchwork of security alliances that keeps a multipolar balance around the South Caucasus. What alternative is this ruling party betting Armenia's future on?
1: What I see is that there is increased pro-Turkish propaganda in Armenia, and um, many ways are utilised for it, and especially social networks and uh, the um, uh, state television, and um, this propaganda has already brought to some changes in in, uh, uh, social behaviour and in social perceptions, and uh, I think they are preparing for just this scenario, to replace Russia by Turkey, and even if it is a um, um, big issue, even catastrophic for Armenia, mm, I don't think they're being c- taking care. Especially, we have seen that Khachatur uh, and uh, some other politicians and parliament members are supporting this line, and mm-hmm. especially in media, Khachatur does this, So, and many people who are connected to him. So I think... Uh, they are really preparing to do that. And, uh, of course, there is no you know, West vs. Russia option. Yes, there is Russia vs. Turkey option. There is uh, some kind of uh, Iranian option, at least partially. Uh, there might be some, you know, some other minor options, but uh, EU observers cannot in any way replace a Russian uh, security presence. They can, let's say, to very small extent, they can decrease... The level of uh, number of small incidents, uh, because, uh, of course, uh, having these uh, observers, Azerbaijan would not like to be caught. Of course, it's obvious who is uh, who is sh- shooting, but still. But on the other hand, if there is a risk of a large-scale war, 50 uh, non-armed observers can cannot do anything and will not do anything, of course.
2: And right, uh, let's uh, switch gears yet again. And talk about what's going on in our neighborhood, specifically in Georgia. On March seven, the Georgian Parliament voted into law one of the um, a couple of drafts of a bill that had been circulated for the past few months. The bill was a near exact translation of the U.S. law on the Foreign Agents Registration Act, known as FARA in the U.S. The law would require political actors to clarify their foreign funding sources and their uh, activities to lobby lawmakers for such uh, with such funding. Uh, and the bill uh, passed with 76 out of the 150 votes uh, in the, uh, I guess, Georgia Dream, uh, the Georgian Dream par- uh, majority-controlled parliament. Uh, and it ignited large protests in T- Tiflis. And on March 9, the parliament uh, remarkably agreed to rescind the law and to release any of the arrested opposition members. Uh, As I said, the main backer of the bill was uh, the ruling Georgian Dream Party. The main opponents of the bill, obviously, were the pro-Western opposition uh, parties. Uh, And uh, what I wanna ask, or what I wanna start with, Hadan, is was this a backdown, a victory for the Georgian opposition? And what really happened uh, there? Why why did the Georgian uh, ruling party bring forth a bill uh, that they should have, some say, predicted would result in such a backlash.
1: Well, let's start from, from the last question uh, because chronologically it took part first. So why did they bring this bill? First of all, I think there were two, two trends. One trend is Russia versus West, which created full for some countries, more room for their manoeuvre. And we have seen how Chinese, uh, Turks and other uh, countries have been utilising these possibilities. Of course, course, Armenia failed to use this possibility, uh, but uh, Georgians did. And uh, they have increased their level of strategic autonomy, which of course is viewed negatively. Uh, in the West. Now, that's first. And uh, this is one of the steps, because first was Georgia's rejection of uh, imposing sanctions against Russia, which took place yet in February to March uh, 2022. And uh, they have stated that they are not going to open second front, because uh, they remember 2008 and so on. Now, that's first. And second, and they wanted to use this time for increasing their level of sovereignty, because it's obvious that uh, many countries uh, have influence over Georgia, and they wanted to increase their maneuver and increase the level of sovereignty. And that's the first issue. And second is that, in reality, foreign influence on Georgia has increased so much that Georgian authorities uh, are not able to make very many steps. They are very dependent politically, and we have seen how, how they are limited in their abilities to act even like uh, during this last week. Because um, in reality, if not West's harsh response, people would not gather in the streets. This is very important because uh, on one side, of course, uh, for some people in Georgia, it is important mainly those NGOs who get the foreign, uh, foreign assistance. On the other hand, the majority of people are not even aware of this law. But we have seen very strong statements uh, on US side, I mean official statements, on EU side, on the side of uh, their local representatives in Georgia, but also in Washington and so on. And I think this caused you know, the... People gathering in the streets, and uh, and that's why I think these were two confronting trends. So Georgian authorities were afraid, afraid that they are losing power over Georgian politics, especially uh, internally. I mean, domestic politics is also very dependent on on um, on the West because many uh, political reforms or social reforms are affected by the foreign influence. Now, that's second issue. So, that's why Georgian government wanted to uh, adopt this law. There are some people in Georgia who think that they did it intentionally uh, to have these uh, clashes and to play it out somehow, but I think it's a very weak position because Georgian authorities have lost uh, in this battle. Now, uh, concerning those who were gathering, I don't think if Georgian authorities have lost, that Georgian opposition, namely Mikhail Saakashvili and his um, United National Movement Party, have won. Uh, because in reality, they did not win. Even, moreover, when there were, when there were these protest actions, uh, when the political actors representing opposition were going to the streets, people in the, uh, in the squares, they were... Uh, asking them to go they didn't want to be associated with uh, domestic political players at all of course it is a political movement but it's uh, directed to foreign politics and people did, did not want to associate to be associated with uh, with uh, local politics or domestic politics so uh, that's why i think georgian government have has lost this battle but the georgian opposition did not
0: uh Harant, what were the reasons behind such a strong level of opposition to this bill by the West?
1: I think there were already for some quite some time um, many disagreements between Georgian government and the and their Western counterparts. And the major issue was the fact that Georgia did not support sanctions against Russia. And also there are many voices. Mainly connected to the West, that uh, that uh, it's uh, that Georgia should impose a uh, ban on Russian citizens entering Georgia, or at least impose a visa for entering Georgia, and impose sanctions and so on. And Georgia did not, so we have seen how Ukrainians supported uh, protest actions in Georgia, and then uh, we've seen that. So it was already existing discontent, and then also I think the fact that as the West thinks that well, many actors in the West, especially in United States in Washington, they think that uh, uh, they have given Georgia a lot uh, of uh, finance of support, and Georgia should not play its own game right game right now. Uh, so they are afraid of. Uh, losing uh, influence over Georgia, uh, and that's why they try to not let, it, let this happen. Especially, especially given the uh, current situation in the world, in global politics, in regional, regional politics, in Eurasian region, is very emotional for all sides including the West. So I think this emotional situation background is also important uh, to, to understand this perception. Because in reality, this uh, para like law, which was adopted by Georgians or which they tried to adopt, it's uh, it's more like uh, Australian war uh, law uh, or Hungarian law, uh, but not Russian law or even american one it it's more similar to hungarian law and that's why they they wanted to prevent creation of another hungaria which is inside the west but is eurosceptical um so it's also very important
2: Herant, uh the the tactics uh, the opposition used uh, in georgia really raised some eyebrows uh, on live tv we saw protesters throw molotov cocktails at the police we saw them breaking public benches in order to, uh, basically, make makeshift barricades, and they flipped over cars. Um, you know, to name a few of the things that we saw. Yet we all heard uh, all yet yet all we heard from Western politicians were calls for the Georgian government to ensure the right of the protesters to protest peacefully. Meanwhile, there are two examples of protests where the West essentially. Uh, supported uh, the government uh, against the protesters, which were most most peaceful. One of the protests was on Moldova recently, where the opposition was criticized by the West. And then, of course, we also remember the resistance movement protests in Yerevan last summer, where uh, some of the Western representatives even criticized the Armenian opposition for being too violent, despite the protests there being nowhere near violent, as we saw in Georgia. So. Uh, what is the difference between the cases of Georgia versus Moldova and Armenia? Uh, why did the protesters in Georgia succeed when the protesters in Armenia didn't? I think
1: here we need to be clear, and that's what I'm going to do. So, in reality, you are raising issue about the double standards being used by Western politicians and uh, diplomats. And unfortunately, it's here. West, um, Western actors especially in Washington, but also in Brussels, um, have very similar agenda, and it's very political and ideological. Uh, And uh, why they did support uh, Georgian movement, and they did not support, for example, Armenian or Moldovan, and even did the opposite. And why um, in Armenia government is acting violently and gets support of the West or in Moldova, but in Georgia it's opposition, it's because they have this so-called Cold war style thinking, and in reality, we have um, effective revitalization of the Cold War, uh, but uh, in this case, only from one side. Yes, Russia is fighting uh, militarily, but it's not playing Cold War yet, at least it's not able. So in reality, when, when we see the West confronting Russia in this region or somewhere else, Mainly we see <laughs> we see only Western actors acting again in Armenia in Moldova. People who were opposing government in 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 Moldova they were not pro-Russian. They were anti-government or maybe even anti-Western at some to some extent, but they were not pro-Russian. So in reality we see this um, and the same situation is worldwide. So we see one side it's Western side and we see those who are opposing, but we don't see uh, the second side, so-called Russia. As I said, Russia gate in the United States, where Russia is, Russia is interfering everywhere, against everyone, and so on. But in reality, it's not happening. So in reality, there is no Russia. There is no second, second side. So this is an issue where, uh, where there is one side in every kind of contradiction in the world, which gets support, and its uh, support is based uh not on the law neither on um, human rights issue uh, or other issues but purely political uh, on one side but there is no second side which is very important so here in georgia it was the same so opposition would not win if not political support from the west i I think it's very important to say because even people gathering in the streets and by far there will be I'm, i'm sure that there will be much lesser people in the streets, if not direct support, but even with people gathering in the street, it doesn't mean that they, will, they would win, uh, but they won because of these uh, clear political statements, because Georgia has uh, ambitions to, uh, to join European Union, and uh, I think with this uh, law, they might uh, would, they could fail, and also there have been statements On official level, that uh, that U.S. might sanction sanction Georgian politicians who have voted for this law. So maybe they have been afraid, uh, and I think this is uh, the biggest part of the reason. Not not people who gathered in the streets because it's political, and uh, this is important.
2: But the other thing that I want to tease out here, and uh, there have been calls in the past that you know uh, if if there was only more decisive moves that the Armenian opposition employed during last summer. Basically, they blamed the opposition for not employing more decisive moves. And I'm not one here to make calls for violence or what we saw in Georgia. But uh, is it possible that the Georgian opposition was more decisive and they used force and that's why they were successful? I don't think so, to be frank.
1: And I don't think that Armenian opposition's issue is or reason of failure is that they were not decisive. Mm. Of course, they were not. But this is not the main reason for failure. Uh, In fact, if we compare these two cases, uh, the reason is foreign interference on one side and against the other side. Because we've seen, during the last several years, we have seen the publications in the... Western human rights rights protection organizations that the only threat to, to free speech in Armenia is that uh, uh, that uh, some uh, opposition groups still have influence uh, in media and there have been investigations against opposition media they have been pushed against opposition media uh, they have been left out of uh, advertisement money and so on so so in reality. The push against uh, opposition media, against free speech, was supported by the West. It's unpo- it's, it's pity, but it's so. And uh, and then uh, let's think uh, um, why it happened. Yeah, because uh, because one side uh, declared that they will support uh, the West, and they don't care what's what what is the policy behind it. Uh, you know, you can remember this uh, statement about samosa. Uh, or about some other people in Africa, or or in uh, in Latin America. So unfortunately, it's the same, essentially the same policy. Now, um, concerning Armenian opposition, even despite the fact that there was contradiction on the um, side of EU, obviously, um, the reason of failure, first of all, opposition should be seeking in itself, and the reason is that. Uh, most people in opposition were contradicting each other much more than the authorities. So they were not able to unite, one. There was lack of leadership, two. Uh, third, they did not have strategic agenda, three. And four, they did not have any clear action plan. So uh, it's not issue of being uh, uh, violent. Yeah, you should be decisive but uh, not necessarily violent, by far not necessarily. But yeah, of course course you should be decisive, but again, you should not be violent to win. You should know what to do if you are willing to win. And this I have not seen on Armenian opposition side. But again, uh, I don't see Georgian opposition winning in these clashes last week. I see uh, Georgian government losing, but not Georgian opposition winning, because uh, protest actions were organized by by, uh, not by the um, opposition, but by the
2: NGOs. Uh, so to cover the last topic uh, today, last week, uh, a new MPG poll was released uh, called amotisar because I guess they they focused on uh, some issues related to Amutisar.
0: Hovig, can we take just a, a small break and say what Amotissar means? It means a mountain of shame.
2: <laughs> yes, so a mountain of shame, and this is just uh, the editorializing of the MPG uh, director, uh, Aram Nawasagzan. But the questions inside uh, are are more interesting. And obviously, they um, they claim to follow a standard methodology of doing polls. They did telephone polls of about 1,100 people, plus or minus 3% is the error margin. And the questions were conducted between February 25 and February 28, so over a duration of three days over all of Armenia. Harant. Are there any specific uh, questions or interesting tidbits that you would like to call out from this uh, poll? Since there were not very many questions, I would
1: pass through a couple of them. First of all, there was a question, how did the corruption level change after the uh, revolution of 2018? And it's interesting that despite the fact that majority, uh, about 60% said that, the level of corruption has decreased, there were 32 or a bit more percent who said it has increased, and it's interesting because because government propaganda is day by day showing uh, that uh, they are still combating against corruption, against the previous government and so on, But still, very many people think that the corruption level has increased. And moreover, the level of uh, people, number of people who are thinking that the level of corruption has increased, is much bigger than those who are supporting the opposition. So it's not that opposition is confronting the government narrative, because we've seen some narratives uh, of the government supported much wider. For example, aid to Turkey had, uh, according to this poll, had um, almost 66% support. So, um, so in this case, we see that uh, on one side, the, the governmental propaganda has worked, uh, worked effectively, but on the other hand, we see that in another case, it did not work, although government is uh, much more pushing towards its anti-corruption image. So, it's interesting, another interesting point is that uh, majority of institutions have um, rather low level of support uh, and trust, and uh, it includes uh, most of state services, and also media, it's also interesting,
2: Uh, and uh, the last thing, on that question, uh it's interesting that or the I guess patrol, the, the police patrol, the new the new police, some say the police, the, the American police, because they were funded these reforms are funded by the US, uh has the lowest trust on that poll. Any indication of why that's the case? Because there seems to be a lot of funding and a lot of propaganda to make them look good.
1: Yeah, but we have seen very weak personnel, and I think this is the biggest part of the reason and the personnel is really weak, uh, untrained. Maybe in some time it will improve, but yet they are not very effective. And Despite the fact that crime rate has decreased um, last year because it has increased in 2018 and again in 2020 to 2021, and it's still much higher than in 2017. But um, at the same time, the trend is improving. So I think in some time it might... uh, it might, uh, the police might increase its popularity, but yet it's not that effective. And uh, it's not matching the expectations of the population, obviously. But there is another story. Um, people were asked um, that um, do do people support the official version which was um, publicized by Nicole Pashinyan about um, incident in Gerharko Mars where 15 uh, servicemen have died out of because of the fire and uh, a bit more than 70 percent said they don't trust and a bit less than 20 percent or even 19 percent said they do trust so it's uh, as of now I think uh, the lowest support level to authorities uh, in any questions in any question which have been put so far in the last five years. That's very interesting.
2: And just to uh, remind our listeners, uh, hours after the incident happened, hours after those uh, 15 unfortunate deaths, Pashinyan went on uh, record on public TV and said that, uh, you know, he basically detailed the exact sort of incident, how it happened, uh, exactly how the, you know, the gasoline tank was thrown and so forth. And he made it sound like, you know, everything was discovered. Everything was discovered about that case. When in reality, um, we're seeing now different versions of events, different people retracting what they said on public TV, including the different public officials. Yeah, so definitely it's it's interesting to see that so few people support the the official narrative now. Um, can we extrapolate people's support for the government, based on the responses to this question? Uh, No, I think it's
1: regarding the specific issue, but it's also important to note that um, many people in Armenia cannot split these two things, their support of government and their support of any action of government. So uh, very many people, usually the government has around 35% of support right now, and uh, usually this 35% or so, uh, support government in any occasion. And uh, there are some 35% who oppose government in any occasion. And the rest are aligning to this or that side. But now we, for example, now we have seen how uh, majority has shifted in support of uh, Amulsar, Um, Amulsar mine, uh, gold mine whereas previously the public opinion has been split but now majority supports it maybe it's because armenia has lost SOC. uh maybe for some other reason but as of now majority is supporting according to this poll so it also does not indicate that majority is supporting government so i would say generally level of trust in government and general general level of support towards this government has been decreasing it's very slow Uh, slow uh, trend but it's still on it's um, ongoing and it did not stop Uh, and uh, based on some issues people might shift their opinion towards this or that issue Uh, but but again uh, people are gradually losing trust uh, that they will live better because still after 2018 there were many people who thought that this government will take uh, dozens of billions, which, according to them, uh, had the previous government and uh, disseminate among people, and people did not <laughs> get out of this virtual billions anything, so it also, it also affects public uh, expectations and opinions.
2: And, of course, also many people talk about the NGOs, uh, or the so-called civil society, um, which I, I guess they were busy in Georgia protesting the Georgian government because they were nowhere to be seen when this new, uh, you know, Al uh decision was announced. What What is the cause of that? Did the facts about environmental issues change? Did their beliefs change?
0: Uh, it's what interesting
2: you that um, you can find in media
1: that they have made a couple of statements against, there have been some talks against. But this time they try to not publicize it much. So in reality, it's not that their opinion has changed, rather they are trying to not harm the government. And now, since this government is much more vulnerable, uh, and uh, given the fact that they are in impacted lives, I think uh, this is the real reason for them not being heard this time. And by the way, you've mentioned... Georgian events, it's also noteworthy that they openly, some of Armenian NGOs, they openly supported Georgian protesters. Um, yes. I don't know why they did not support Armenian protesters or Moldovan protesters, but yes, they supported Georgian protesters.
0: All right. As usual, I'd like to ask each of you if there's been something on your mind this past week that you would like to talk about. ovik can I pick on you first?
2: So one thing I guess I would like to bring up is that uh, we talked about corruption today. There is more and more uh, evidence of corrupt practices of this Armenian government. For instance, about ten people have been uh, are currently under arrest for misappropriating money uh, that was uh, directed towards COVID uh, response. Uh, and we all know who was the minister of health during uh, that time, Arsen Torosyan. Uh, who is uh, walking free, but his deputy at the time has been arrested. And it just seems like a very large web of uh, corruption. At least that's what the allegations show. And uh, But I'm surprised that Arsene Torosian is still walking free. But also I'm not surprised because it's this government. So
0: that's my rant. Okay. rant. what's on your mind?
1: Well, I can add up a couple of things to that. We can remember David Sarneserian's case, where um, he found guilty for corruption, but but they did not arrest him, or they released him very soon, and also they arrested his deputies and so on. So, very similar story, and we have seen uh, lots of publication in media um, around this issue. So, yeah, there are corrupt practices. Um, But unfortunately, there are many, uh, many people who are investigating corruption are still investigating corruption of the previous authorities uh, on cases that took place in like 2006 and so, but not investigating the situation which is taking part, taking, uh, uh, part today.
0: Alright, we're going to leave it there for today. Um, thank you, Herant, for joining us. We really appreciate the time you uh, give us.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Herant.
2: that concludes our program for this episode of Groom weekend review we hope it has helped your understanding of some of the issues from this previous week we look forward to your feedback and suggestions for issues to cover in greater depth contact us on our website at groom.org, that's g-r-o-o-n-g and on our facebook page ann-grung or in our facebook group grung-armenian news network special thanks to laura osborne for providing the music for our podcast I'm Hovik Manacharyan and on behalf of everyone in this episode, I wish you a good week. Thank you for listening and talk to you next week.